Welcome back to the Latin Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. I'm a little bit overexcited. As you can tell, the first big GC day of the Giro d'Italia Stage 9, the mountaintop finished a blockhouse, over 5,000 metres of climbing, including straight out the gate, a nightmare for sprinters who are still on the course as we speak. I climbs 9K 7%. 7k 6% and then the middle it chills out a bit but that's where the break will form and then they do the Paso Lanciano 11k 7% little appetizer for the main course blockhouse 14k's 8.5% with some like 4k's over 10% in the last third disgusting climb the scene of Quintana putting 30 seconds into Dumo but that was on an easier run in back in the day. And the heart of the stage is if someone's feeling good on the mountaintop finish and they can have their team pace, gaps can get bigger. We had uh, Carapaz as the favorite for the stage in the betting markets, Yates second, Lander third, and then it was sort of Fortunato Dombrowski, Almeida around the teens. But anyway, before we get into the break action, a word on our show partners with the perfect companion if you cannot leave your screen to watch the Giro to get your fitness goals done whilst watching the race it's a cycling app that makes training fun whether you're trying to get a bit stronger on the bike or preparing for a grand tour like mvdp or cav there's meetups training plans a pack calendar and workouts on demand and spending more time on the bike thanks to swift has certainly helped me and benji my and benji's fitness over the last few months if you want to give it a go or check it out you can head to swift.com for a free seven day trial but a big fight for the break benji including some androni riders and diego rosa and sepulveda and tesfazion do you have any intel on who tesfazion is maybe give people a bit of background on who he is or sepulveda well firstly let's talk about how the break initially formed which was just the same way that vanderpool tried to do it yesterday and that formula did it a few days ago where a rider attacks tries to ride solo for like 20 kilometers and hopes that the break forms behind them. Today, that was Diego Rosa from Ayolo Cometa with his uh, burger on his butt and he went off into the breakaway. And the breakaway formed behind them really that then ended up joining him, including, like you said, don't just throw in hopper riders. Not Nail Tesfacion, Natu for the friends. I'm not a friend, so I'm not sure why I just said that. But anyway, he's a rider that is relatively punchy. He's had good results in Copia Bartali. And turns out he can climb mountains pretty well as well. So pretty versatile in that aspect. I think he was in that breakaway in Tour of the Alps that I think Kemna rode away in the in the final stretch with Amador and Lastra and so forth. And uh, Tesfacion was one of the riders that tried to kind of play it smart in that breakaway. And that might actually come into today's stage as well. He... In that Tour of the Alps stage, stayed on the wheels and tried to use, I think it was, was it Bevan or some rider on Israel that kept pacing him back to the front every single time. And in today's stage, we had Diego Rosa being the rider that was going for all the KOM points. He actually ended up getting more than Kun Bauman currently has in GC. Oh, GC. The KOM point classification, not GC. And uh, that means that Diego Rosa after today is actually the KOM jersey wear, the Malia Azura. And uh, Tesfatson was basically the second best rider in that break, we are dare to say. And he was playing it smart once again in the sense that he was staying on Diego Rosa's wheel for quite a long time. And yes, there were other people in that breakaway, but they ended up not being overly relevant to the stage. 
on the Paso Lanciano, the second last climb of the day. Those were the two riders that were ahead, Diego Rosa and Desfazion. And in the descent, it was only one rider left because Desfazion ended up riding straight in a corner. And when you do that, you end up crashing. And fortunately, he uh, looked to be relatively okay because the crash looked like it was pretty serious. It just looked like the, the kind of Remco crash where... He didn't have his cornering right, and by the time he realized it, he was panicking and just rate, rode straight into a, into a bush. But he stood up again. Obviously, Diego Rosa was off the front by then, and uh, well, that story was told there. But this breakaway was not making it anyway. The peloton was keeping it close, and uh, I want to show it to you with Ineos taking it on Castro Viejo very early on in this stage. What did you think their plan was? I was I didn't know because I was like, does this climb really suit Carapaz against the Slovenians? Obviously, you'd say no. It'd been set up for them nicely by El Patron Juanpe, who Trek were worried about Felix Gull's GC. Uh, I don't know. They just got a pace and get it tight. So no chance break wins. You need like five minutes, ten minutes at the base of Blockhouse to win this stage. It's such a hard <laughs> climb. Uh, unless you're a really top-level climber in the break. And I didn't know if Ineos were bluffing because they kind of paced and did nothing on Etna, they paced and did nothing on Monte- on Stage 7, and they were giving time back to the break on Lanciano. They gave like 30 seconds back to Diego Rosa, who wasn't that happy that Testacion was on his wheel. So Bucho was not setting a nuclear pace on Lanciano, but anyway, I didn't know. Uh, it looked by all appearances that they were going to try and set up Carapaz. Movistar back in 2017 did a similar thing, uh, pacing Blockhouse really hard with uh, Jose Joaquin Rojas, then went around a Kona, etc. But I think one thing happened that was funny on that Lanciano climb is Lando went to the back and everyone watching was like, you got to be kidding. No way. All the Landismo <laughs> fans, which there still are many, uh, they're out there. He, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. But I think he just needed to change shoe. He apparently cra- Well, where did he crash? Because we realized five minutes before recording he crashed somewhere. So I don't know what happened, whether that preceded the shoe change or or what. Just land of things, really. Also, Bill Bow, his second uh, lieutenant, had crashed. So he's out. So he's just got Novak. Butrago had crashed. And Poles doesn't look like pure mountaintop finish is as good as he was on Torini. So it's just Novak, really, that, that Landa had. But, yeah, what did you what did you see from Ineos, Benji? I guess it, it ended up being exactly what it looked like. Yeah, exactly. It ended up being just Castroviejo setting the initial tempo, keeping the, the pace on for the initial Lanciano climb there as well. And Ben Tullet was then the next rider that would be taking it on on the early slopes of the blockhouse. But I do want to kick into the Landa story. I think he ended up changing his shoe at that point on Lanciano, but in the descent itself of Lanciano, he probably crashed again based on the images that I saw. So it's a, a wonder that he was able to come back by the foot of Blockhouse to the peloton to get into action again because one other rider wasn't so lucky with Wilco Kelderman being uh, one that had a mechanical near the foot of Blockhouse or like a bit before Blockhouse. And it's in a descent where gaps are opening up in the peloton, the same gap that Landa basically reportedly crashed in. So those were two GC riders that were hindered in that descent and had to come back. And I didn't, I couldn't really follow whether Wilco actually came back or not because every single time I saw Borides in the peloton at the foot of Blockhouse, it was not Gelderman. Did he actually come back or? I, I couldn't tell. 
I couldn't tell either. It's so unlucky, man. You know, Wilco crashed out of the Giro in 2017 on the run into Blockhouse when Geraint Thomas crashed. It's scary. Like, same place. It's weird. Uh, often on Corvos, our photo, just who we get the photos from, um, they have photos of things that no one's really seen yet. And I can see the la- Lander literally crashed in a hairpin on his face. His face kissed the tarmac. Now, luckily, he must have been going at a lower speed. He's lucky he's not done. He put his hand down. He's lucky he didn't do his wrist, collarbone, or really hurt his face. And it was a UAE rider. might have been Almeida behind him who also loves to descend on the hoods um, through hairpins too. So Landismo, maybe maybe he's getting some luck. Maybe for the first time. Anyway, gets a blockhouse. Ineos are pacing. Talat starts revving it up. And then it's Sivakov, and Sivakov was in the winner on a Kona roll. He starts putting in work on other riders, pacing really hard. He looks good, Sivakov. Um, I think better than the first half of last year by a long shot. And I don't know when it was, Benji, but Simon Yates drops so early on Blockhouse. We, we suspected this was the chance of happening. If you picked him to win or bet on him to win GC, you think you're at the odds he was insane. But is this related to a knee issue from a crash the other day? It's always possible. We can't know that without being internal in the team. But we've seen him be inconsistent regardless of that knee injury in the past. So it could just as well be his inconsistency. And yeah, he lost quite a bit of time at the end of today's stage. And we'll talk about that a bit later when we go over each rider. But Going off the back of that group so sorely, like two-ish kilometers into that climb means that you're not okay for this blockhouse. And he's not the only one that did it. I think Ciccone even dropped even earlier, which was also like, okay, that's, uh, well, Juanpe, El Patron is now also El Patron of Trexe Gafredo. So uh, uh, Ciccone has a domestique from now on. (laughs) Ciccone is a mere domestique for El Patron. So, I mean, he was just shirking his domestique duties today. Yes, losing that time. Uh, Juan Bay won't let him in a break. Ain't no way. He'll let him in a break later on. But yeah, those two were (laughs) gone. And we had multiple teams with multiple riders. We had uh, Bora with Kemner, who didn't drop back for Wilco. Kemner stayed up there. Buchmann looking good. Hindley, that's three for Bora. We had Sosa dropping early. He's done. Um, Yeah, done. We had... Fortunato there, Bilbao, Novak, Lander, the three for Bahrain. For UAE, Formula was there. And there was a moment, Benji, when Sivakov was hard pacing. Formula looked around like, where the fuck is Almeida? And what what was Almeida doing this whole climb? Your read of it. Well, it's the typical Almeida has 79 lives policy. He like He's able to like be at the back of the group drop every few minutes really and then eventually crawl back to the back of the group past people that are dropping as well and it was intriguing to see that formula was directly going towards almeida and actually waiting for him at a certain point i did not see that coming i was severely skeptical about formula as a domestique and yeah it could be that he was dropping at the exact same moment and was like okay i might as well just help out almeida here but i think it no, was, he was looking um, he's looking for yeah. him I agree. He was working for Almeida today. And uh, uh, it's it's good to see that because, well, Almeida just kept coming back. And he came back that first time with Formula. 
and then he dropped again, and then he came back as well. Then a gap opened up in the middle of the group, then he came back as well, and he just kept on doing that for the majority of that climb, but it was still poured at the front after Sivakov's work was done, hammering it at the front, and that's all for Karapaz. And you know that the steepest section of this climb is going to be with four four and a half k to go, roughly. That Karapaz is most likely going to try something at that point, so that Port will try and keep this up to that spot. But yeah, what else can follow? Before we get into where the fireworks really kicked off, the LRCP Giro coverage is supported by GCN+. Plus, if you need to catch up on the Giro, it's a rest day tomorrow. They have on-demand highlights, short, long form. You can catch up on all the important stages, of which today is one definitely worth catching up on. All LRCP listeners from the US, UK, Australia, Canada, and Germany can get 25% off an annual GCN Plus subscription by heading to gcn.eu slash LRCP through the link down below. And if you've already caught up on all the Giro, there's Giro, uh, GCN Plus has a Giro collection documentary series to keep you entertained tomorrow. But yeah, Benji, I I don't know what it is with Almeida. I joke that he's like doing a Tour de Tietama YouTube challenge where he has to ride a world <laughs> tour, a grand tour mountain top finish with his average power as close as possible to his normalized power. He just refuses to search. <laughs> and this is why I put my whatever reputation, however small it is, on the line on Twitter today. Before the stage, I was like, Almeida's the one for this stage. He's good on Sega de Ala, Alpa de Mera. He loves long 40-minute steep climbs. And the reason I said that is because he he understands how long they are and he just goes steady, Dumo Thomas mode. He's a TT guy. And it's incredibly stressful watching if you're a fan or his family, the guy literally dropping 10 times. But it's the smart way to ride the climb because draft, like people think he's better on 5% climbs. But he's not that heavy. And on 5% yeah. climbs, if you did what he did today, you do not come back because the draft is too important. But on 10%, just doing your own pace, it's worth doing what he did as a time trial. So I think he wrote it really smart. And he even lent on Hindley as well to come back uh, eventually. Yeah. And it, oh, that was later, sorry. But I want you – this is your moment, Benji. I think one of your best moments of the year. The shark yes, yes, yes. was – revitalized he's back in open waters the shark is back vincenzo nivoli is back he's going to win the giro like it's so happening he's like plenty of time behind but we know that he's good in the third Not week really. we know that he's gonna build it up vincenzo nivoli is coming back and there are descents in this parkour there are climbs in this buckle and the fact that he can hold on to this damn group for so long on blockhouse this is the moment people this Insane. is the moment I've been waiting for for my entire life. The shark is back. And another Jaws movie is going to be made about this man. But hey, he wasn't the only one that resurrected. Well, Pozzo Vivo didn't necessarily disappear as much as Nibli in the last few years. But he was certainly there as well. And it's good to see that. Uh, last minute Antomache signing. He's probably on a very low salary, right? Probably on like 50, 70K. He's earning less than probably Carapaz makes a week in a year. So, and well, I'm, I'm fair to pick on Carapaz. He's up there. He's earning in terms of people dropping early, like Froome and Fulsang and stuff. They're not here, but yeah, Pozzo, what a signing for Intermarche. And yeah, Nibali Benji, he only lost 34 seconds today. He lost more to Quintana in Blockhouse 2017 when he cracked. 
he paced his climb way better and he knew it from 2017. I think one of the only guys, uh, maybe Bardet was there, but... Lower level performance though? I don't know. We'll have to wait for Nychaka's calculations. He has, uh, I haven't been able to see them yet. We're recording straight after. But yeah, that's the thing. That's what I always say about cycling. You can't see what's per kilo. It's nice to analyze them later. And you you know, you know look at the data later. But when you're watching it, five watts per kilo, six watts per kilo looks the same. You just want an exciting battle. Uh, anyway, what I want to discuss here is what Ineos did. They put Port on the front pacing hard. He's close on GC. He's, compared to the other guys, there's no Slovenians here, he's a real GC guy. To Laplan last year in in the Dauphiné, people forget. Mark Kudun went nuclear and destroyed everyone. But behind, Ineos played two-leader strategy. Thomas let Port attack, and he destroyed Lopez, won Dauphiné GC because of that. Why did Ineos spend Port? Hard pacing, Benji when they had two guys or had multiple guys in this group? I think because they wanted to make a statement with Carapaz today and perhaps perhaps overrated Carapaz compared to his competition or they just felt like he deserved at least the attempt of showing it here. But I agree with the fact that, I'm not sure if it's even your point, but I feel like having them both in GC could have an effect in the future if that's the Definitely. case. but. But having Carapaz, ah, I don't know. Perhaps That's how Carapaz won 2019. You're right. Perhaps Carapaz heard the Movistar rumor and was like, well, Ineos, if you want to keep me in the future, you're going to have to get Port to ride for me on Blockhouse. Otherwise, nah, 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 nah. Maybe that's part of the deal. Maybe. I don't know. I'll I'll think about it later. But yeah, I, I don't really agree with it. And it was just... Basically, Skytrain tactics, eventually Carapaz attacks, he's marked. This is what, like, if you're Lander and Bardet at a similar level, you then they mark him easily. Almeida's in the group behind, pacing, changing turns with Pozzo and, Bo- and uh, Hindley. That's an easier tactical scenario for Lander and Bardet to manage because Aaronsman couldn't do anything. Novak had done a pull and dropped Almeida, who came back. Lander had no teammates. Yeah. Like, it's... It's more, it's easier and more straightforward for them to go. And they started working together reasonably well. And I think they weren't going 100%. They were still pulling occasionally, though. This is with four Ks to go. And I think that's because they had Bora behind, as well as TT threat Almeida. Almeida's ahead of them on GC. He aces at like three minutes. He's done. And so basically, the rest of this stage was the three Bardet, Landa, Carapaz, looking like cycling in 2016 pacing ahead of Almeida and Hindley, 2020 Giro, <laughs> weird Giro, chasing behind. And it was just that status quo for ages. He, uh, eventually Almeida came back. Pozzo throws in a little dig, goes nowhere. Carapaz has a dig, but they weren't, Lander was accelerating. They were testing each other. Lander looked good, especially after a crash. But then Almeida came back again and it turned into a 6 man sprint on blockhouse and it sounds oh six man small group sprint that's boring for a stage of stuff as this nah it was exciting up to that point who's going to win it i made it the best sprint on paper but he's tired he's come back but potso lander carapaz but hey hindley in the group they probably wouldn't have wrecked the final to know expecting a sprint and hindley goes to the front he starts hard pacing even though bookman is chasing back behind he takes the first 
the, the left-hand corner and gets a gap off the wheel. Almeida's put himself on Landers' wheel, off Carapaz's wheel, so he just ruins his sprint opportunity, and Jai Hindley opens up. Carapaz and Bardet are a little bit gapped, and they can't get back to his wheel. Jai Hindley winning the stage. It's like um, unbelievable throwback to, and I said it yesterday, this guy, his last major win was Giro d'Italia twenty uh, stage 18 in 2020, and before his best ever career performance was on Piancavallo, the stage Gegenhart one, which is a 40-minute climb initially, and he was unbelievable today. He almost couldn't believe he won wins on Blockhouse ahead of Bardet, Carapaz, Lander, Almeida, all in the same time, Hotzo on three seconds, Buchmann on 16, Nibali on 34, unbelievable performance, Bala 46, Aronsman 58, Guillaume lost a minute eight. That's actually pretty good for him. Guillaume Martin on this finish, and given he took a few yesterday, nice performance. Bilbao 12 on 108, also good for a guy who crashed heavily. The big losers of the day, Carthy lost 348, Hort 401 after domestique duties, and of course, Chicone on 9 minutes, Yates on 11 minutes, 15 with Kelderman. So, memorable stage, Benji. I liked it. Yep, I certainly did as well, and I want to mention the... uh... The legend himself, let's talk about him. El Patron Juanpe Lopez fighting for his Malia Rosa <laughs> in the final few kilometers yeah. of Blockhouse and actually saving it. It didn't look good if he had a few kilometers to go, a minute and a half behind, but he kept that to the line and therefore he is still the leader of this Giro d'Italia ahead of Almeida and that's wonderful to see. But uh, we heard some stories about this man, right? After the stage ended? Well, I think uh, Mihai was listening to Rai or the Italian broadcast and so JP Juanpe Lopez runs for an Italian team, and he's Spanish, presumably speaks or other Italian. And apparently he apologized for throwing a bottle at Sam Omen at some point in the race. Apparently on purpose, according on purpose. to what I just read. <laughs> because Sam Omen allegedly pushed him, and therefore Juanpe was like, God damn it, dude, and threw a bottle at him. So we've he's had fighting in the peloton today. Imagine if he gets a time penalty. Oof. Well, yes. Yeah, so... Well, I, I, people think I was joking. People think I've been memeing the El Patron thing on all the time. Bernardino, Lance Armstrong, Tade Pagacha, Chris Froome, Juan P. Lopez, El Patron of the Peloton, the one we didn't deserve, the one we need, marshalling the troops. Also, Ineos attacked him when he, he had like, he nearly crashed on Blockhouse and that caused a gap that Almeida had to close. But yeah, he fought like only losing a minute. Ooh, a minute 46 he he held on Homonotero and he's so light this suits him this sort of climb we rarely have climbs this hard uh, in Vuelta last year he didn't lose too much the stage that Lopez won so he saves if he doesn't get a time penalty for throwing bidons at people I mean he's just serving up peloton justice 12 <laughs> seconds he's, he keeps the Malia 12 seconds out of Almeida 14 ahead of Bardet, 15 seconds ahead of Carapaz. So there's three seconds between Almeida and Carapaz. Hindley on 20. Guillaume Martin slips to six, but he's only on 28 seconds. Lander on 29. That is ridiculous. Pozzo, eighth on 54. Buchmann, ninth on a minute 09. And Bilbao, tenth on 122. So there is 17 seconds between second and seventh that is the dream scenario for the race organizers um kind of the opposite to the tour de france last year and juan is kind of i don't know a bit of a sitting duck although he's doing quite well <laughs> el patron but yeah 
Any other notes from this stage, Benji? Anything you think people could have? Th- Do you think Ineos should be disappointed? I, I would be a little bit. I would be as well, because their goal was quite clear. They wanted to launch Carapaz with Fulcane to go. He failed to drop the others. He was then together with Bardet and Landa, and that group did not work together. Therefore, the others were able to come back. I genuinely think if Bardet, Landa, and Carapaz were able to figure out a way to work together in those final four kilometers, which is unlikely to happen, then the group of Almeida, even with Almeida being such a returning animal, after every single time he drops, he probably wouldn't come back in in that scenario because Almeida didn't look like the Almeida of like last year end of Giro where he was able to come back and still had something he was coming back but every time people attacked it looked like he was like oh god oh god I need to try and follow again I need to try and follow again even when he sat in the wheel for a bit before the sprint there was one rider that went for a quick attack I think it was Bardet I'm not sure about it and then we saw that Almeida was again on a bit of a gap and I wanted to mention some more about Almeida that I see a lot of people saying, probably some Portuguese people on Twitter as well, oh, but last year, third week, he was so, so good. But we got to keep in mind that in his first Giro, his third week was probably the worst of his three. So we don't know whether his third week is going to be his best this year. That's something I guess we'll see. And then we'll see if it's an actual pattern that his third week is great. So we don't know that yet. If Almeida will be great in week three, it'd be great for the race because then he'd be a competitor that could even try and attack on mountain stage in the future. But that's an intriguing aspect. I have one more thing about Cav, but I'll let you talk about Almeida if you need to. Yeah, I think he should be happy. He, he said he didn't feel good before the stage and on the one of the hardest, probably the hardest mountaintop finish of the Giro, he's now, if you're not going to include Juanpe, he's ahead of all the serious GC contenders and all he's in touching distance. So can't complain with that. And conversely with Ineos, they've spent their whole team. They've waited... This is the stage they've targeted week one. They didn't try on stage seven where I thought they were had a bigger advantage in terms of team strength and you know putting Almeida under pressure. And they spent Port GC. He's done four minutes. And Carapaz didn't get anything out of it. So that's also some results-based hindsight. Well, you know, if Carapaz wins the stage, then it's fantastic. So there's that aspect. But... Yeah, I'm just not sure about the spending port like that. Even if you don't think he can hold into week three, he's just a useful, just useful to have to try and target the other riders. Um, but yeah, great stage, and I think GC is well poised. Oh yeah, are you watching? Have they come in yet? Cavendish has arrived 16 minutes inside the time cut, so that's great. But in. I, yeah, but I haven't heard anything about Caleb Ewan yet. But about Cavendish, it was interesting to see that Ballerini was allowed to ride by himself. So he didn't have to wait for Cavendish. So perhaps they weren't so sure Cav would actually make it and therefore said, okay, Ballerini, you can go. But perhaps they also said, okay, Cav's going to make it easy. And therefore, uh, you don't need to wait up either. So it's interesting. But uh, Cav made it, which is great for the upcoming sprint stages, right? Yeah. And I guess that probably, that all depended on any, whoever paced Lanciano. If they'd really lit it up there, it could have been problems. But yeah, that's comfy inside the time limit. Okay, that's good for the stages to come up. Otherwise, we will have a rest day recap tomorrow. And the question I now have, Benji, is are we sleeping on Bora? Is Jai Hindley a real threat to win this year at Italia? Oof, that's a very good question. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm, not sure I'm on board of that yet. 
I think he's going to lose time in that time trial for certain, but it's also a time trial with a hill, so that has its advantages for him. But I don't know. His consistency in the last year was so bloody terrible that it's impossible for me to guess whether he's going to have that 2020 consistency again. And even then, his first week wasn't great. So it's really that third week that made it. So if he can keep this up till the end, I honestly cannot tell you at the moment. But I will say that Buchmann certainly did better than I expected him to on this climb. Will call. it's difficult to say uh, what we could have expected from him, knowing that mechanical happened and so forth. But even with that mechanical, losing 11 minutes is quite a lot in my opinion. There's three teams all with two serious GC guys within a minute of everybody. Bora with Bookman and Hindley. DSM with Aronsman. The wor- this is the worst client for Aronsman, by the way. He's a bit bigger. Um, he'll be happy with how little time he lost. Uh, Aronsman and Pardee for DSM. And Bill Bow and Lander for Bahrain, who both had a shitty day, one they wouldn't have hoped for. That's an advantage those three teams have. I don't think I don't think Bora and those will like they need to use that. They're not as strong as Carapaz head to head, I don't think. I think they need to use that. And that's something that Ineos don't have. It's something that um Almeida doesn't have, nor that's about it, of the serious guys. Um but how would you rate this this first week, Benji? Absolutely amazing. The shark is back. It's bloody amazing. And uh nah. On a serious note, about Nibali before we end here, I think he should try and go in the break still on like a stage 14 hill stage. He's on three minutes and a bit. They're probably going to let him go out, I dare to say. And uh, they might act like Guillaume Martin the other day, where they try and chase him a tiny bit and keep him on a leash. But hey, extra time taken is extra time taken, and you never know what you can get out of that. But uh, when it comes to week one, I, I really enjoyed this week. It's good that this week ended with GC being... Not decided, which is a good thing. If Carapaz attacked and gained two minutes on everybody, it would have been a pretty boring ending of this week. And it would say a lot about the upcoming stages, which we currently don't have. This race is open. We did lose competitors like we expected on Blockhouse. And I swear that one of my hot takes back in the Giro preview back in A, like the route preview, was that on Blockhouse, we'd lose one of the bigger GC competitors. Yep. And it's Simon Yates. So called it. But it's a shame, but hey, and it makes the race more interesting as well a bit for today. Yeah, it, it definitely offers something. Today, I think, what was I going to say? Uh, Nibali will win stage 15 from the break, uh, I'm pretty sure. And Bike Exchange are in big trouble. They were relying on Yates points oh, yeah. for GC for relegation. I know the racing's irrelevant, but for relegation, glory of a stage win? <laughs> nah, nah, relegation battle. Um, but seriously, they they're in trouble. They Guillaume Martin is probably going to take big points on them for Cofidis, and they're going to slip. And if Lotto mount a comeback or Israel, they're in trouble. So yeah, trouble for bike exchange. But we'll preview stage ten. In our rest day recap tomorrow, there'll be some more storylines coming through, I'm sure, after we stop recording. Uh, But we will mention during the Giro d'Italia, and it's a shame it was on during the first week of the Giro, and the same applies to the Giro Rosa, which is during the first week of the Tour de France. Um, It's just, it's tough when it's battling for attention. It's Ulya Basque Country Women's, the first ever edition happened this week, and Demi Vollering was dominant for SD Works. Not taking huge time in each of the 
the stages, but she won all three stages. All of them had a typical sort of San Sebastian climb close to the finish, uh, or like about 10Ks or 8Ks from the finish today in stage three was the Marquil Tontora, which you will have seen before. She destroyed everybody, gapped them every climb after the hard pacing, usually of Ashley Mulman, and I said, won all three stages. Today's solo, the first stage in a sprint against Roy Ackers and Faulkner, and the second day, I'm going to call it a sprint, but she actually took time on Cavalli and Co. So big win from her. Any Anything stand out from you from this race, Benji? Mine was Faulkner. She looks really good. I agree with that, but I also want to mention that Volring's descending stood out for me as well because she actually, I think, gapped True. people on the descend on the Murgil Tontora yep. and also on the stage before there was a descend where she was attacking riders and ended up just not dropping them by the bottom. But I feel like her descending is uh, is certainly one of her qualities at the moment that the others haven't been able to, uh, well, the, that she had was able to exploit against the others this week. And it's not the victory where you're like, okay, she's now a, a GC favorite for the Tour de France femme. Now Van Vleuten is not here and we can't portray this or we can't compare that to the performances of Van Vleuten when he comes to GC. But uh, it's certainly... Uh, it certainly shows she's in good form. That's for certain, and I'm looking forward to see what that gives in the coming weeks. I was hoping for Sarah Gigante to show more after winning that. Yeah. I was at Navarra Classic, but I think she got ill or something during one of the nights uh, after stage one, I think. So that's a bit unfortunate, but plenty of racing to come, and hopefully we see some good races in the future there. I think SD works. It's clear how good the shape Mulman is. I think she... I think they got to try a two-liter strategy against Van Vleuten in the Tour de France Femme of X-Swift and not on the high mountain stage. On the earlier stages, as Benji mentioned, maybe Vollering's descending can be an advantage. Van Vleuten's descending can be a bit iffy at times. Maybe try that. I don't know. Otherwise, Royakas, she came second on GC. She was signing for Canyon Shram. Incredible signing. Uh, she, I think, did well at Giro de Emilia, punchy rider. Look out for her in Classica San Sebastian this year if she competes. And Faulkner as well. She was signed to Bike Exchange Jayco. She was on Tibco last year. She, I think she came to cycling late. She's 29, but she's just improved so much. She hasn't raced that much this year. She DNF'd at Van Head Hageland. I'm not sure if she got sick or got injured, but she's come back strong in the Spanish scene, fourth and third at uh, two Basque one-day races tuning up for this, and now uh, third on GC. Very, very nice indeed. Uh, but, yeah, Volering keeps on trucking. I don't as – you, as, you as you said already, Benji, this doesn't move the needle for me in terms of, oh, Volering can keep up with Van Vleuten later. No, nah, we saw in Liège, and it, that's not the case. But other news around the traps was Tour de Hungary had five, oh, four sprints, five stages. Uh, stages were won by Koi, Jakobsen, Jakobsen, Groenewegen. Jakobsen not actually looking that sharp. You can see all the highlight videos on Lantern Rouge's YouTube channel. And then the final stage was a 12K, 5% climb, but the first 8K is not really hard. Last 3.5K is hard. And Eddie Dunbar attacked really early after Ben Turner pulled. And then Antonio Tiberi, a sort of, Italian version of Grant Thomas in training. TT'd his way back to him and then beat him with a punch to the line coming around him. But Dunbar took DC and he, this is what I want to talk about, Benji, related to the Jira. He mentioned he didn't get picked for the Jira in the post-race interview six times. 
He, he mentioned how disappointed he was, his shape, how he was training for the Giro. Do you think that was a mistake from Ineos? I mean, would he have done any better job than Tullet today at the base of Blockhouse? I don't think he would have necessarily. Or is he the rider that could be in the place of Swift or do they need Swift for like other terrain? Because I feel like Swift was the rider in that team where I was a bit doubtful about despite his consistency in previous Grand Tours. And I thought Dunbar could be a more valuable rider than that in this race. Yeah, I think he's probably more versatile. But then on the flip side, maybe they're like, Tarlett could do well in the TT. And also, if Dunbar's leaving and Tarlett is staying and he's like a long-term project, he's, this is his first year at Ineos, came up from Alpes and he's 20, came second in GC at Settimana. I think you take... You take Tullet and that's just yeah. that's just a shame for Dunbar and I wonder what's gonna happen with him. He doesn't he said he doesn't even know his calendar afterwards. So we'll watch that space from him. Uh but yeah, that's all from us today. Big Blockhouse GC day. Looking forward to the rest day recap tomorrow and we'll preview stage ten then for the Giro. Hope you all enjoyed it. Let us know any questions you want answered related to the Giro in that episode. Thanks to Zwift as always for being our show partner and supporting the pod. And we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.